My name is Stephen Sindoni. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast of North American Legends, The Great Flood. In today's program, I will share with you a Salish legend. Long before missionaries ever arrived in the New World, the Indians had ancient legends of a great flood similar to that of Noah. This is the one the Cowichan tell. In ancient times, there were so many people in the land that they lived everywhere. Soon hunting became bad and food scarce, so that the people quarreled over hunting territories. Even in those days, the people were skilled in making fine canoes and paddles from cedars and clothing and baskets from their bark. In dreams, their wise old men could see the future, and there came a time when they all had similar bad dreams that kept coming to them over and over again. The dreams warned of a great flood. This troubled the wise men who told each other about their dreams. They found that they all had dreams that rain fell for such a long time, or that the river rose causing a great flood so that the people were drowned. They were much afraid and called a council to hear their dreams and decide what should be done. One said that they should build a great raft by tying many canoes together. Some of the people agreed but others laughed at the old men and their dreams. The people who believed in the dreams worked hard building the raft. It took many moons of hard work, lashing huge cedar log canoes together with strong rope of cedar bark to the top of Mount Kawachan by passing one end of the rope through the center of a huge stone, which can still be seen there. During the time the people were working on the raft, Those who did not believe in the dreams were idle and still laughed, but they did admire the fine, solid raft when it was at last finished and floated in the Kawachan Bay. Soon after the raft was ready, huge raindrops started falling, rivers overflowed, and the valleys were flooded. Although people climbed to Mount Kawachan to avoid the great flood, it was soon underwater, but those who believed the dreams took food to the raft and they and their families climbed into it as the waters rose. They lived on the raft many days and could see nothing but water. Even the mountaintops had disappeared beneath the flood. The people became much afraid when their canoes began to flood, and they prayed for help. Nothing happened for a long time. Then the rain stopped. The waters began to go down after a time, and finally the raft was grounded on top of Mount Kawachan. The huge stone anchor and heavy rope had held it safe. As the water gradually sank lower and lower, the people could see their lands, but their homes had all been swept away. The valleys and forests had been destroyed. The people went back to their old land and started to rebuild their homes. After a long time, the number of people increased until once again the land was filled and the people started to quarrel again. This time they separated into tribes and clans, all going to different places. The storytellers say this is how people spread all over the world. In closing, I'd just like to say if this Native American oral history story is true, then the Bering Strait theory must be a lie. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast of Native American Legends, The Great Flood. While researching the legend of J.C. Brown, I came across the following information in a book entitled Western Siskiyou County, 
Golden Dreams, written by Elizabeth Renfro. The shocking story was witnessed by the official record keeper for the U.S. government, George Gibbs, who was traveling with Colonel Reddick McKee. Mr. Gibbs kept a journal of the expedition's travels to Indian country. On the evening of November 3, 1851, there was a great celebration. The agents were treated to dances performed by the Native Americans. On the afternoon of November 4th, a peace treaty was signed by 13 Shasta chiefs and Colonel Reddick McKee. The following has been passed down from several of the Shasta families. According to Fred Wicks, now deceased, a feast was prepared after the treaty was signed and the Shasta Indians were invited to eat. It was considered impolite and a sign of distrust in the Shasta tradition not to partake. As a result, most of the Shasta ate the beef and bread served. It isn't quite clear, but the Shasta warriors began to die. It has been repeated in Shasta oral history that 3,000 warriors died that day. After the event, it is said by many that vigilantes, both miners and settlers, swept to the villages and killing all the people. Tyree Jim was a young man in 1851, and while he was allowed to observe the proceedings, he did not partake of the meal. He spoke until his death in 1908 at the age of 70 of burying the dead along the trails. Tyree Jim was not considered a threat and was allowed to return to his village in Scott River. There is a large unanswered question about the treaty signing and subsequent disappearance of many of the Shasta tribe. What happened to those who were to occupy the reservation? While no documents exist to validate the oral history, it is well known that some of the Native Americans went to Silitz, Grand Round, and Kalamath Reservation in Oregon. Whatever the case, in the Indian census taken in 1852, it was reported that only 27 Native Americans were living in Siskiyou County. George Gibbs mentions in his journal on October 28, 1851, seven days earlier, that he was made aware of the plot to kill all of the Native Americans at the treaty signing. His journal entry of November 4, 1851 merely states that in the afternoon it was signed in the presence of a large concourse of whites and Indians. The usual presents were distributed and they separated in good humor. Later, local newspapers matter-of-factly referred to it as the poisoning of 1851 as a historical fact. This was the first of many of these similar tricks used to annihilate the Native American, and the remaining few Native Americans were forced to live on Indian reservations. Here it is only 151 years later, and there are over 310 Indian reservations throughout the United States with over 2.5 million Native Americans living on them. The American people should force the U.S. government to close any reservations and end the injustice. The FBI, or Federal Bureau of Intimidation, savage behavior at the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation has caused the deaths of more than 60 Native Americans and two of their own agents. Isn't it time we make the government accountable for their brutal savage treatment of the Native Americans still happening today? I ask you to examine the facts and understand our country is not a democracy. Our forefathers have built the foundation of lies and deception. It is my hope that in my lifetime I will see the last Native American leaving the reservation and turning the lights off for the final time.
In today's program, I will share an extraordinary Hopi prophecy that was first published and circulated among several Methodist and Presbyterian churches in 1959. Some of the prophecies were published in 1963 by Frank Waters in the Book of the Hopi. The account begins by describing how, while driving along a desert highway, one hot day in the summer of 1958, a minister named David Young stopped to offer a ride to an Indian elder who accepted with a nod. After riding in silence for several minutes, the Indian said, I am White Feather, a Hopi of the ancient Bear Clan. In my long life I have traveled through this land, seeking out my brothers and learning from them many things full of wisdom. I have followed the sacred paths of my people who inhabit the forest and many lakes in the east, the land of the ice and long nights of the north, and the places of holy altars of stone built many years ago by my brothers farther in the south. From all these I have learned the stories of the past and the prophecies of the future. Today many of the prophecies have turned to stories and fewer left. The past grows longer and the future grows shorter. And now White Feather is dying. His sons have all joined his ancestors, and soon he too shall be with them. But there is no one left, no one to recite and pass on the ancient wisdom. My people have tired of the old ways, the great ceremonies that tell of our origin, of our emergence into the fourth world, are almost all abandoned, forgotten. Yet even this has been foretold. The time grows short. My people await Pahana, the lost white brother from the stars, as do all our brothers in the land. He will not be like the white men we know now, who are cruel and greedy. We are told of their coming long ago, but still we await Pahana. He will bring with him the symbols and the missing piece of that sacred tablet, now kept by the elders, given to them when he left, that shall identify him as our true white brother. The fourth world shall end soon, and the fifth world will begin. This the elders everywhere know. The signs over many years have been fulfilled, and so few are left. This is the first sign. We are told of the coming of the white-skinned men, like Pahana, but not living like Pahana men, who took the land that was not theirs and men who struck their enemies with thunder. This is the second sign. Our lands will see the coming of spinning wheels filled with voices. In his youth my father saw this prophecy come true with his eyes. The white men bringing their families in wagons across the prairies. This is the third sign. A strange beast like a buffalo but with great long horns will overrun the land in large numbers. These white feathers saw with his eyes the coming of the white men's cattle. This is the fourth sign. The land will be crossed by snakes of iron. This is the fifth sign. The land shall be crisscrossed by a giant spider's web. This is the sixth sign. The land shall be crisscrossed with rivers of stone that make pictures in the sun. This is the seventh sign. You will hear of the sea turning black and many living things dying because of it. 
This is the eighth sign. You will see many youth who wear their hair long like my people come and join the tribal nations to learn their ways of wisdom. And this is the ninth sign and last sign. You will hear of a dwelling place in the heavens above the earth that shall fall with a great crash. It will appear as a blue star. Very soon after this, the ceremonies of my people will cease. These are the signs that great destruction is coming. The world shall rock to and fro. The white man will battle against other people in other lands. With those who possess the first light of wisdom, there will be many columns of smoke and fire, such as White Feather has seen the white man make in the deserts not far from here. Only those which come will cause disease and a great dying. Many of my people understanding the prophecies shall be safe. Those who stay and live in the places of my people also shall be safe. Then there will be much to rebuild, and soon, very soon afterward, Pahana will return. He shall plant the seeds of his wisdom in their hearts. Even now the seeds are being planted. These shall smooth the way to the emergence into the fifth world. But white feather shall not see it. I am old and dying. You perhaps will see it in time. In time. The old Indian fell silent. They had arrived at his destination and Reverend David Young stopped to let him out of the car. They never met again. Reverend Young died in 1976, so he did not live to see the further fulfillment of this remarkable prophecy. Hopi prophecy states that World War III will be started by the people who first received the light, China, Palestine, India, and Africa. When the war comes, the United States will be destroyed by gourds of ashes, which shall fall to the ground, boiling the rivers and burning the earth, where no grass will grow for many years and causing a disease that no medicine can cure. This can only mean nuclear or atomic bombs. No other weapons cause such effects. Bomb shelters will be useless, for those who are at peace in their hearts already are in the great shelter of life. There is no shelter for evil. When will this prophecy be fulfilled? The Hopi elders, through oral traditions and references to ancient rock, pictographs, and tablets state that when the blue star of Kachina makes its appearance in the heavens, the fifth world will emerge. This will be the day of purification. Thank you for watching Hopi Prophecy Revealed. No place to call our own, only this cross to In today's program, I'll be sharing a story entitled Words of Wisdom by Chief Dan George. After reading Chief Dan George's story featured on First People entitled Words of Wisdom, I was compelled to put together this video to pay tribute to a true North American hero. Chief Dan George was born Geswanoff Slahut in North Vancouver, Canada. His English name originally was Dan Slaholt. His last name was changed to George when he entered a residential school at the age of five. 
During his life, George worked at a number of different jobs, including a longshoreman, construction worker, and Hollywood actor. He was chief of the Tassil Watooth Nation from 1951 to 1963. He was also a poet. And now, words of wisdom from Chief Dan George. How long have I known you, O Canada? A hundred years? Yes, a hundred years, and many, many Selenum more. And today, when you celebrate your hundred years, O Canada, I am sad for all the Indian people throughout the land. For I have known you when your forests were mine, when they gave me my meat and my clothing. I have known you in your streams and rivers where your fish flashed and danced in the sun, where the waters said, Come, come, and eat of my abundance. I have known you in the freedom of your winds, and my spirit like the winds once roamed your good lands. But in the long hundred years since the white man came, I have seen my freedoms disappear like the salmon going mysteriously out to sea. The white man's strange customs, which I could not understand, pressed down upon me until I could no longer breathe. When I fought to protect my land and my home, I was called a savage. When I neither understood nor welcomed this way of life, I was called lazy. When I tried to rule my people, I was stripped of my authority. My nation was ignored in your history textbooks. They were little more important in the history of Canada than the buffalo that ranged the plains. I was ridiculed in your plays and motion pictures. When I drank your fire waters, I got drunk, very, very drunk, and I forgot. Oh, Canada, how can I celebrate with you this centenary, this hundred years? Shall I thank you for the reserves that are left to me of my beautiful forests, for the canned fish of my rivers, for the loss of my pride and authority, even among my own people, for the lack of my will to fight back? No, I must forget what's past is gone. Oh, God in heaven, give me back the courage of the olden chiefs. Let me wrestle with my surroundings. Let me again, as in the days of old, dominate my environment. Let me humbly accept this new culture, and through it, rise up and go on. Oh, God, like the thunderbird of old, I shall rise again out of the sea. I shall grab the instruments of the white man's success, his education, his skills, and with these new tools, I shall build my race into the proudest segment of your society. Before I follow the great chiefs who have gone before us, O Canada, I shall see these things come to pass. I shall see our young braves and our chiefs sitting in the houses of law and government, ruling and being ruled by the knowledge and freedom of our great land. So shall we shatter the barriers of our isolation. So shall the next hundred years be the greatest and proudest in the proud history of our tribes and nations. Chief Dan George was born on July 24, 1899. He died September 23, 1981 at the age of 82 in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. In closing, I would like to read a quote written by Chief Dan George. Can we talk of integration until there is integration of hearts and mind? Unless you have this, you only have a physical presence, and the walls between us are high as the mountain range. 
It is my deepest hope that in the near future we will see the 600 reservations in Canada and the 310 reservations in North America close their doors forever. Isn't it time we give back the freedom and dignity of the first true Americans? And there you have it, another episode of Legend, Mystery, and More. Words of Wisdom, Chief Dan George. Thank you for watching. See you next time. Living in the promised land Our dreams are made of steel prayer of every man Is to know how freedom feels There is winding Across the shifting sand And room for everyone Living in the promised land And room for everyone Living in the promise